You're listening to Unravel, the podcast, where we go behind and beyond stories featured at our monthly live show. From Shanghai, I'm your host, Clara Davis. People in China believe that once you hit 30, family should be your only priority. And for some reason, after 30, the word I disappear from girl's mouth like a guy disappearing from bed after a night of fun. Instead, the girl would use the word we, us, or um, our family, which referred to the husband and the kids. I told myself, okay, once I hit 30, I would just stop trying any new things because that's purely for myself. I focus on settling down. And as with all the settling downs, I need a bachelor party. I need a one last adventure, a super crazy one, because this is all or nothing. And I remember this seven-day crazy survival challenge in the desert, which I heard about two years ago. So I bought a ticket for Burning Man and also round-trip flights to US without looking into any details. So when I arrived at the Black Rock City, I had to keep myself from screaming at the top of my lungs because I was so, so excited. Today's episode features Nora Young, a stand-up comedian born and raised in Shanghai, who planned a solo trip to Burning Man as a last hurrah as she approached her 30th birthday. For those of you who haven't felt the burn, I count myself among you, Burning Man is an annual event held in the desert of Nevada that's all about artistic self-expression, community, inclusion, bringing together all sorts of people, ideas, experiences, and it's also one big party. Nora had no idea what to expect when she touched down in Black Rock City, but she knew what she was looking for, an adventure to get out of her system before she buckled down, found herself a partner, and lived the way her family expected her to. After listening to her story, I wanted to know why she settled on Burning Man of all the adventures she could have chosen, and I wanted to hear more from her about the pressure she felt to settle down. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nora, You'll hear her reflections on Burning Man, her insight into the burgeoning stand-up comedy scene in China, and more of her account of that fateful festival throughout the episode. The story you told at Unravel is about mm-hmm. Burning Man. Yeah. Pretty crazy story. Yeah. Obviously, we understand that you identified that as something that was on a bucket list for you, mm-hmm. but it seems like a pretty crazy item to make your bucket <laughs> list. Can you tell us what put Burning Man on your radar and why, I mean, what gave you the courage to, to do that as opposed to any other number of wild things you could have done? I've always been trying to be adventurous and like different and trying new things, but um, Burning Man was out of my radar because it was too crazy. I'm not a person with a lot of surviving skills that I'm really, really dependent. But the trigger was that I broke up with my boyfriend and then it was sort of emotional abusive in a way. And then I was really in a bad situation mentally after that. And I was like, I wanted to break up with the old me. And then also that was a time I just started to do stand up. So I really actually wanted to try stand up abroad. It was just always too dangerous. But not at that point. It seems like that bit of danger is the, exactly the reason why I wanted to pick it, because I wanted to get out of my comfort zone. 
It seems like stand-up has definitely seen a rise in Shanghai. In wider China or just yeah. Shanghai? I would say wider China. The frequency of shows or open mics per night has increased a lot. A year ago, maybe for one week, you will have maybe one to two or two to three Chinese mics or shows all together. Now you have one to three mics or shows per night. There's clubs that will do uh, like bilingual. There's also clubs that focus on Chinese. With those happening, you attract more people as audience and they attract more people to try as open micer and then it kind of incubates more comedians. But the most vigorous cities is still Shanghai, Beijing, a bit of maybe Shenzhen and Chengdu. Smaller or like lower tier cities still facing the desert of stand-up comedy there. How do you find just being a woman and doing mm-hmm. stand-up comedy? I will say that in China, including the stand-up in Chinese, less than 10% of the comedians are female. A lot of females fear that they would not get in love, which is called losing face in Chinese. So they don't want to be on stage unless they are confident with the material, which is really hard because all the mature material have to be practiced and then taught for like several times. And then the second thing is females tend to blame themselves while males tend to blame others. There is actually always as many new female comedians as new male comedians coming in every mm. week. However, the new girls, they always dropped. And then they will tell me after once or twice that, oh, I'm really not funny, you know, like I've tried it twice, but then nobody laughed, I should really quit. But all the new guys, most of them will stay. And then they'll be like, oh, people don't laugh because they're a bad audience. It's not because of me, my joke is awesome. They'll keep coming back and then some of them will finally get the trick and then they will become a better comedian. What do you think it is about your personality that allows you to... Stay kind of, yeah, in the industry. That, yeah. yeah, I would say like family. My dad is a very funny person himself. He actually tried open mic as well in Chinese as the oldest open micer ever. <laughs> and then the second thing is then ever since I started, I get really good feedbacks from uh, like fellow comedians. They will tell me it's not as easy as what you think. So you have to practice. You have to you know do this and that. Once you start into getting some laughs, you will become more confident and you can continue to do this. How do we get more women in comedy to be louder, more active? What's your prognosis? The real advice is just do it. <laughs> like Nike's slogan, they just have to do it. But I find that like if you have a partner that's together with you in the process, it's easier for a woman to go. You know, If they're a very good female comedian and then you kind of admire, and then if you can get advice from her, whether like officially or unofficially, then it's more likely that that person will be able to come back. Hmm. Because they feel supported. They need just they just, they just need the confidence. That positive reinforcement. Yes, yeah. their confidence. And also, if people are not comfortable with English, that's fine. They can try Chinese. But that's a funny thing. I see quite a few Chinese female comedian that does comedy only in English. And I went to them and I was like, you're really funny. Why don't you also try Chinese? They're like, no, I don't want to do that because I feel like if I say it in English, it's a stage persona. People won't judge it. But if I do it in Chinese, they're like, oh, she is like that. They are kind of hiding behind the language to... A mask. Yeah, mask themselves. The third one was also a one-man show at um, the center camp. And people before me were like reciting poems or like, you know, just share the story at the burn. And it's more like spiritual listening than the usual comedy club. And there are also people practicing yoga and meditation at the corner of the camp. 
So once I get onto stage, I started to share my joke, and the people came to come closer. Two friends came to me, and they were like, "Oh my God, Nora, you're so funny! Like we just love it. We love China too. Last time we were in Tokyo, oh my God, it's amazing." <laughs> I was flattered. I was like, "Oh my God, honey, where are you from?" They're, "Oh my God, we're locals. We're from here." So that moment, I realized there are still a lot of people there don't understand about China. There's value in my voice. Nora performed multiple sets during her time at Burning Man, and each one taught her something special about herself and about the value of her voice. She talked to me about how she uses comedy as a tool to tackle some of the heavier topics, how it's given her a language and a platform to connect with people in a new way, and the double standards she encounters forging her own path in a country that is caught between its long-standing traditions and its rapid growth. you use comedy as a tool to talk about really serious or important topics. Yeah. What what do you feel like you get out of using that type of material in a stand-up comedy routine? I feel like if you can approach it in a personal and light way, that you get a strong resonation from the audience. Yeah. Because everybody feels the pain, but they cannot demonstrate it. I have a new material which is about, you know, I don't think it's fair that women should be the one who's responsible for, you know, looking pretty. In the animal world, usually it's the male animal who needs to be pretty. Especially in China, I feel like in other countries, you see a lot of straight guy in the gym. But then in China, they were just like, oh, we don't need to be good looking. We just need to be rich. That's not true. If you cannot even manage your body, who can? If you don't want to look attractive, why should I look attractive? My dad told me once, guy only like you as a girlfriend, but they don't want a wife who's stronger and then more, you know, persuasive and then who's glamoury on stage. That's so scary. He's like, you can only find a guy who's like not Chinese, because a Chinese would never accept that. Do you agree with that? Do you think that's true? Um, I don't think that's true for sure. But I just feel very sad when my dad told me about that because my dad to me is always the most understanding. I'm very shocked that he would still say that to me, which means he also agrees that a woman should be weaker in a relationship than the man in the marriage. In the less educated area, people still have the stupid idea that boy is better than girl, so they would prefer to have a boy. That leads to the instability of the social pressure, which is men want to find a woman. But because women are getting better and they're good at everything, they want a capable man. So they have a higher standard, leaving a lot of men unmarried and unwanted. We are forced to accept the idea that women need to get married so then more men can have a stable family so they don't do anything stupid. Because China is a, I would say, both traditional and modern country, some part of thinking is still very traditional. It leads to the situation that in the society we have a lot of so-called leftover women having a very good job, you know, living a very high standard life, but also at a high standard for the partner. While the men are like, oh, but you are not young anymore, which means you are older than 25. And then, and then so those women don't want to settle, those men don't want to you know, accept a girl who's stronger than them, which leads to the pressure. How old were you when you started becoming aware that 30 was some sort of deadline? 
the deadline age has always been changing. Like when I was twenty, I feel like twenty five was the age. I feel like <laughs> so, so my keeps, deadline like, keeps pushing back. I know, me too. So that day, I stayed behind, talked to a lot of interesting people. I met a 30-year-old guy who is a government official, and he just taken a year of gaps to travel and figure out what's the purpose of his life. I met a 40-year-old yoga instructor who's also a mom of three, and、uh, she just started to practice the fire tricks at Burning Man. I met an 80-year-old grandpa who has been to Burning Man for 14 years, just experienced the unbounded creativity, the unstrained energy, and unconditional love. And that day. I left the camp. I felt that I get my Superman cape back, and one month later, I had my thirtieth birthday. And after that, I celebrated with trying loads of new things. Nora met people on all different paths at Burning Man, and it refreshed her perspective on what turning thirty could mean. I wanted to hear more about the new goals she set for herself and all the firsts she's continued to have without the pressure of this imaginary deadline. When you were describing your decision to go to Burning Man, you were saying that it was a bit of a bucket list item. Yeah. But when you left Burning Man. There was some transformation that you had experienced, right? Yeah. You sort of saw the value in your voice, and you came back re-inspired to do things differently and for the first time. Yeah. Do you still feel the same way? Before I went to Burning Man, I thought that it's gonna be the last crazy thing that I'm ever gonna do. Kind of wanted to really try to settle down as soon as possible after thirty. But then after that, I was like, I don't need to give myself. An invisible boundary. I still want to keep my own pace. Last year, I tried live streaming, TV programs, and this and that. This year, I started to do stand up in Japanese. I really wanted to explore what's possible. Japanese is a whole different world in terms of the art of comedy. Actually, the traditional stand up form doesn't work well. They have their own tempo. They have their own way of thinking. I watch so many TV shows. I I know so many, you know, history. Plus, everybody after they they know that I speak Japanese, they will ask me, "Oh, do you also do that in Japanese?" Of course. I was like, I'm gonna change the answer from no to yes. I'm doing that. Do you have a motto that you go by or you live by? I actually have don't don't have one specific motto, but there's one sentence that I really find insightful. You are the average five people that you spend most time with. You need to surround yourself with people who you respect. Who can show you some insight? Who can bring you a different world? That's similar to the concept that every woman should have a female mentor, who you can really rely on, and then get some life advice. That would be really helpful. In your story, you talk about Chinese women coming to thirty and being expected to talk in terms of we instead of I. I'm curious if you have become a we, or if you're still an I. And if、oh. you think it's possible to become a we without losing so much、mm-hmm. of the I, so I started dating、uh, this guy. He's a comedian who does stand up in Chinese. I was like, oh, I'm gonna try someone new, way younger. <laughs> so is he actually, way younger? Like six years younger. But、uh, I'm very appreciative because he supports me of being an independent woman. He's like, if your career goes better, I'm totally fine of being an at-home husband. So he's accepting all my kind of 
other people say crazy ideas, and he's been like super awesome. I'm still an I because I'm not married or I don't have a kid yet. Checking, I'm not pregnant, but I I'm not against of starting a family. But then I'm still a person besides the family. So when I'm giving workshop later on down the road, I will still tell other females, I can do this as a female comedian, and you can do this as well. You are not a mom of three kids; you are yourself, and that will be my dream world in the end. <laughs> It's really validating your theories all along that you don't、yeah. have to compromise. You just need to wait for that person to graduate from kindergarten, but. You can grow your own ideal boyfriend. Grow your own, like a chia pet. Yeah, like a chia boyfriend. It will grow into whatever you want. Nora, thank you so much for coming in and talking to us. I hope that you keep doing all these amazing firsts and making people laugh. Clara, it's my pleasure to be here and spend the lovely time with you. It was a great <laughs> woman versus woman communication, and we nailed it. <laughs> you nailed it, girl. <laughs> A special thanks to Nora Young for sharing her story with us. Today's episode featured clips from her story, but you can listen to the full version at www.unravelstorytelling.com. This podcast is produced and edited by Sarah Borbor, with original music and post-production by Ricardo Valdez. We're recording in the Nowness Studio in the City by the Sea, Shanghai. I'm your host and the founder of Unravel, Clara Davis. Thanks for being a part of our story. Next week on Unravel, hear Tendai Chivero on uncovering a family secret that spanned decades and continents. Fast forward to 2010, and I'm living in London and working. And I get a phone call while I'm out for dinner with some friends, and I go outside to answer. It's a phone call from my mother. She says, "You'll never guess who I've just received a letter from." Now, my obvious first reaction was, "It's 2010. Who sends letters?" <laughs>